Welcome to today's episode of High Stakes. I'm Paige Soya, and today's episode is going to be about prop tech and its impacts on decarbonization, given everything that's going on in the real estate world. And we have two of our investors at Key Street here who both have real estate backgrounds and can share what's kind of going on in the space right now. It's Alan Cohen and Rich Thomas. And we have one of our portfolio company founder CEOs, Aaron Block from Illumia. So it's going to be a good discussion. And before we get into it, let's just do some quick intros. So Alan, why don't you go first? Sure. Nice to see everyone. As Paige said, I'm in the real estate business. I have been on the private equity investing side for almost 20 years. Today, I'm one of the founding members of WMC Government Real Estate, where we focus on buying properties where the federal government is primarily our tenant in those buildings. About half are VA clinics, the other half are sort of your standard, usual government office space, all under the auspices of, of the lease authority of the General Services Administration of the GSA. We've got 25 buildings that we own today and about a half a billion dollars of assets under management. Before that, I worked for the one of the founders of the Carlisle Group, the Pritzker Investment Arm Marmon Group in the White House. So sort of a, a, a diverse background. I think so. I'm seeing the path. That's how you got into this space, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Rich? Rich Thomas here. I um, have been, had a long career in construction, real estate development. I actually worked for Warehouser Company, the tree growing company in our real estate and home building efforts. Also was in the general counsel's office. I left and started my own firm, Haley Development, in the late 90s, a few decades ago. And then I branched off and started a contracting company, Efficient Home, that mass produces energy efficiency retrofits. We work with a lot of the regional mid-Atlantic utilities and housing agencies on under different programs for mass producing energy efficiency, one home at a time or one apartment complex at a time. And I also am part of the burn break companies. We own a portfolio of commercial real estate properties. Cool. Thanks, Rich. Aaron. Yeah, Aaron Block, uh, CEO and founder of of Illumia and Illumia makes sort of a software and services platform that's ideally designed to make it very, very easy to bring decarbonization solutions to that mass market commercial industrial customer. We can get into that a little bit more later, but sort of trying to target underserved market spaces. We largely also work with utilities and other large sort of aggregators of, of buildings and customer relationships. Before starting Illumia back in 2014, actually co-founded a, a solar water heating as a service company with now one of one of K Street's investors, Zach Axelrod, uh, grew that up at one point to be, I believe, the largest developer of commercial solar water heating in the country. Which, well, you pick a small enough pond, you can get the biggest fish, and and that's basically a puddle, not even a pond. And before that, got my start right out of college in. Uh, in smart grid at grid points. Also have a, a DC area background, although I'm now in Seattle. Well, lots of, I think, long-tailed history for all of you in this space, which is which is super interesting. Maybe we can just start by, I like to start this off with basics. So like, what is prop tech? And I'll just say what it is to me when we invest in it, but feel free to share your thoughts if you if you'd like. And to me, it's basically technology for the built world. So anything for commercial, residential, or otherwise, any, anything that's built, it's software and technology that improves efficiency for those types of buildings in the built world. Um, and that can be SaaS, it can be sensors, it can be a combination of those two things. I mean, we see 
tons of stuff in the space. I think the most obvious ones that people know are probably things like Zillow. There's actually a big intersection with fintech. So there's a lot of payment apps and tenant billing software and 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 things like that. Um, that's the world of, of of prop tech that we play in. And I guess maybe do you want to, Rich and Alan? Maybe it's maybe it's worth just sharing what's going on in the real estate space right now, generally. Perspective, you know, from an invest from sort of a an investor perspective, as opposed to maybe the construction side. So interest rates obviously have a huge impact on on invest the investor world. And there is still a, a pretty big chasm between folks who have properties that they'd like to sell and what it will take to buy them. Most of that world is run by cap rates. And if folks don't know what cap rates are, it's just it's a methodology by valuing buildings based on cash flow. And it's the it's the the currency by which people buy and sell. So at the moment, sellers don't have true religion on what things are worth, and buyers don't know where what to pay because everyday rates go up. And rates are the, the primary driving function of how you value the thing you're going to buy. And so there's a lot. The good news is the, the debt markets are not frozen. The bad news is nobody knows what to pay for anything, so they're not buying anything. So in effect, they're frozen. And that's, you know, until we stop seeing the everyday jump up in the 10-year treasury bond, there's no top as to where they'll stop. And so therefore, there's no market to buy anything. And sellers don't quite know what to sell at because they still haven't quite figured out that that whole world in pricing has changed. Rich, do you see it, do you see it any differently? No, I see it. I see it um, from our commercial real estate portfolio side, just like Alan uh, outlined. What's interesting for me is on the aggregation side of energy efficiency improvements, there's increasing pressure on looking at the operating expenses to analyze and optimize you know, the base the base currency for us is energy efficiency i always say you do the mental math we can analyze it a, a million software systems to someday whether it's cutting power bills or decarbonizing it's the same end game when you retrofit two or three thousand homes every every calendar year but there's increasing pressure we're seeing on landlords to figure out how to compress their operating expenses without significantly increasing their capex and so a major contributor to that is the utility and government programs that can help bridge that gap. And we're seeing a, a curve increase that's pretty dramatic in the last six months on that. It's applying to it and it's driven by interest rates and the gap between buy-sell is in the freeze up in that, in that market is um, putting more pressure on operating expenses, which we think is more pressure on energy efficiency type improvements that are cost-effective, which is leading to the, the practical level of decarbonization. It's a question then how it's measured and the systems for measuring and analyzing building performance before and after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I will say like, what is it? 40% of energy consumed is by buildings, is by the built world. So it's a huge area for decarbonization. It's a super, super hard problem to solve. But like Aaron, I would love to Maybe share your perspective on it, having been been doing it for so many years and just what you're seeing in the market in that process. I don't know if I've been doing it longer than these guys. It seems like we've got a, quite a wealth of experience. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, starting just rolling back a step to talk about prop tech and, and how it applies to decarbonization is, you know, in light of what Alan said, I think really interesting because PropTech is such a wide and expansive space, Alumia obviously is, is focused very much on, on the decarbonization side of PropTech. 
But when you look at the operational expenses of facilities and you look at buildings, you know, the built environment might consume somewhere from, from 30 to, uh, to 40% of, of all energy consumed in the U.S., or at least all electric and, and gas, all primary or secondary fuels. But when you look at the operating expenses of buildings, there's sort of, you know, what is referred to as the 333 rule, which is that in operating a building, for every square foot that you have every year, you'll spend roughly on the order of $300 on headcount and, and payroll overhead, $30 on rent and $3 on energy and utilities. And so you just look at that and you're, you know, the smallest by one or two orders of magnitude relative to everything else. And it's a question of, and this is where I think PropCheck gets really interesting. How do you make it really, really simple, really, really easy for people to, to take advantage of decarbonization? Because when you are looking into optimizing OPEX, it's just can be such a drop at the bucket. And, and, you know, what are the ways that we can get building owners to take advantage of decarbonization opportunities? Is it by boosting the top line revenue? Because, you know, having a cleaner, more sustainable building is something that you can rent out at a higher rate. Or is it saying, yeah, we're going to reduce the smallest of your three overheads per square foot, but we're going to do it in the simplest, easiest way possible. And then also, you know, getting back to cap rates, if you can do it in a way that doesn't trigger a, a massive capital expense up front, you know, I don't know what cap rates are now, but the last time Olivia got involved working with REITs that were sort of looking to do energy efficiency improvements and flip properties, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, a cap rate of 10 so we could save them $100,000 a year. That translated to an additional million dollars that they could sell the property for. And so what Illumia is really focused on, you'll allow me to monologue for just a second longer, is, is sort of creating the tools both for ourselves and for our, our utility partners, who it sounds like Rich also works with, to make it really, really easy for building owners to opt into sustainability, to opt into decarbonization. We do it through a method, method that we call decarbonization as a service. And so these utilities or municipalities or franchisors or REITs can go to their properties and say, look, Burger King, you're really good at flipping hamburgers, Footlock, you're really good at selling shoes, Hickory School District, you're really good at, at teaching students. None of you are really good at figuring out what the right decarbonization measures are. That's just not what your ballot book is. But I'm your utility. I'm your trusted energy expert. I'm Duke Energy. I know everything there is to know about generating, transmitting, distributing energy. And frankly, I probably know more about the, the right ways to consume it efficiently. So rather than me just saying, hey, there's a rebate out there. If you figure out the right energy efficiency upgrades for your facility, I'll give you a rebate check, which is the, the old way of driving building decarbonization from the utility standpoint. Uh, we sort of give them the tools so Duke can go to their customers or AEP can go to their customers and say, hey, I'm your trusted energy expert. I'm going to identify the opportunities. I'm going to design the upgrades. I'm going to bring in the local contractors to do the work and I'll fund it. And getting to Rich's question about how do you measure the uh, sort of upgrades, I'm actually going to provide revenue grade metering that goes at the device or at the circuit level so I can measure in real time every minute of every day how much energy these systems are consuming how much energy they're saving, and I'll just bill you for a portion 
of the Pesefe. And so the idea there is that you're taking all of the need for expertise and risk and risk mitigation out of the hands of the people who don't have that expertise, who don't have that knowledge, which are the, the small and medium-sized business owners, and you're putting it in the hands of trusted experts who are the utilities. That's great. I think there's actually kind of a lot of overlap in in that and what you've been involved in, Rich. Yeah, we're weird. I was just thinking we're working in the Baltimore region with the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative on doing decarbonization and electrification on limited income homes where we're removing all their combustion appliances, placing with clean electric heat pumps, water heaters, convention ranges, stoves. And the, I can't remember the conference, I was in Seattle this spring and, and discussing the efficiency coming out of Mitsubishi and train on their next generation heat pumps is just staggering. And I used to, you know, I'm from Idaho here. It's always, you know, always said, let the performance matter. It actually has to be warm in the winter. You can't just say it'll be warm in the winter, but it is stunning the efficiency evolution that's happening. And then the measurements of those efficiencies. Uh, we, we do the, the base measurements with, um, uh, nest systems that are installed in a lot of our homes. And I'm, I'm just amazed at the simplest of things that can be installed in homes on a mass production basis that can get into their personal sensing management and how much that combination of electrification heat pumps with smart meter systems can be installed on a mass production basis and drop the energy consumption dramatically on a decarbonization basis. To me, the, the interesting part though is I think what Aaron was mentioning on what his firm is providing, I think Arcadia is to some degree doing that, which is a suite of enterprise software systems um, that become a one-stop shop. We, we have always said that we don't want to work with just one piece of software that just provides us sensory data. I am invested in one firm that does smart systems and sensing systems for HVAC systems and preventatively know whether there's a problem involved with your heat pump or there's a water leak or something. I, I think that's great, a proactive uh, sensor system. But the long term or the end game is really how is that integrated into the rest of the modeling and systems for the house as software, as the software rolls up on an enterprise basis and becomes a one-stop shop. And for commercial real estate and thinking about Alan's projects and mine, I don't have enough time to go through all the different software demos and try to figure out between 50 different firms and 10 different applications, which ones might work as one-offs. I'd rather take a one solution provider. And I think that's where on prop tech and decarbonization that the evolution is going to go. I do too. We've been seeing a lot of roll up in the space. And I think that's just like, it's extreme. It's such a fragmented space. And everybody says that same complaint about it. So I think we're going to see more and more of that, hopefully. Alan, I was going to ask you, I'm curious, like, I mean, when I think about decarbonization for buildings, it seems like it's, it's, Aaron, to your point, like it's not at the top of the priority list, I think, for a lot of investors. And I wonder how like government tenants feel about it or if they have any sort of if they're, you know, top down pressing you to do things like this or if it's really not on their mind. Just trying to figure out, like, where do we think the ultimate, you know, driver of this happening is going to be? So let me, by way of using our portfolio as an example, sort of break down in three buckets sort of the kinds of tenants we've got. Right. So we've got sort of very uh, high end national security tenants and we've got uh, that's about a third of our portfolio. 
about half our portfolio is VA clinics. The other half is what I would call specialized, securitized space, but not necessarily that has tremendous power demands. Um, so highly secure space, but not major power demands. So in the first two buckets, the government pays for some, but maybe not all of the electricity in those buildings. So for example, in all of our VA clinics, which are huge power hogs, right? They cover all the electricity bills. We never see them. Doesn't matter to us. Mm-hmm. Um, while I would love to see them be more efficient for all the right reasons, from an investor's perspective, it doesn't matter to us one iota. In the national security buildings, um, I would say they, they there's enough, there's tremendous power going to those buildings as well. Only the common area spaces do we worry about that we pay for. They pay, pay for all the secure space. Again, not on our not on our need list. The third bucket is where we would find efficiencies and find value. The problem we've got is, uh, and, and maybe this is just an affectation of of coming through twelve years of in a very aggressive, very highly priced market. It didn't matter a ton whether you reduce reduce energy costs by ten or twenty percent on all your total cash flow because people were sort of overpaying for properties and there was really no need to to eke out the most amount of value possible, right? As cap rates have gone up and prices have, are coming down, everything matters. And so we're just now wrapping our heads around what to do in that third bucket. The problem we've got is that most of our buildings range from, let's say, 25,000 square feet on the small end to maybe 150,000 in that bucket. So they're not huge buildings, right? And the energy savings for us is not not going to be six figures. And so we're, we'd struggle a bunch to try to figure out if there's significant capex required to eke out that savings. When you're talking the tens to $50,000 of energy savings on an annualized basis, while highly valuable when cap rates are in, in a wild, wildly changing environment, it's not a lot of pure dollars, right? So we struggle a little bit with that. And, and so we're a little different than most because while we do have a sort of a broad portfolio, Two thirds of it's covered by the government, so we don't really doesn't really matter to us, sadly. <laughs> you want somebody else to do the work and pay for it? Have I got a solution for you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, on the and the on the highly securitized space, we don't even we don't even access to the panels. Like we just don't. Even, and the units when they need it, when the rooftop needs to be fixed, we don't fix them. Like we 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 procure a service call, but we don't. It's all you know. Basically, third-party property management on our end. We don't pay for it. We don't. We don't want it. They don't want to let us touch them. So there's a lot of that in this portfolio. So we're a little different than most, I would say. Well, I wonder. Like, I mean, yeah. Go ahead, Rich. Well, I also wanted to interject. You know, in the in the you know easy summer, if you will, summer season, flu and COVID's abated. Everything's fine. The, the last three years, there was an intersection between efficiency decarbonization, but the flip side was fresh air in buildings and. Uh, healthy buildings, I call it the, was it Joe Allen from the healthy buildings movement from Harvard and MIT that were pushing that. And, and it's a conflict between getting fresh air and buildings. So many buildings are half vacant and there's this pressure to bring employees back and, and increase the occupancies again. Then winter will come as it always does and it'll have flu season at least as it always does. And there, there's a need for an intersection of of fresh air improvements to go with decarbonization and they overlap and, um, and they need to be modeled concurrently on how to do that. I watch all these old buildings I'm reading about that are emptying out and are they eligible for conversions that they have the right floor plates to convert to uh, residential from office. 
And just as important as the, the floor plate is the systems and, and the types of systems. And can you get fresh air in that building for residential use and going into the colder seasons in places like the Northeast or Seattle? So I just wanted to interject that that's did, another did, upset of prop tech. Yeah, we did one res- residential conversion like that from office to residential in Baltimore. Um, so 400 multifamily units. And the only reason we did it, because it's not really germane to what we normally would do, was all the systems were brand new. Um, yeah. And so they were all latest and greatest uh, filtering. And this was just happening pre-COVID, so that was helpful, but m- more confluence than, than construct. Um, and the floor plates ran with the mechanicals in the, in a, in the proper... Uh, methodology in the building so that offices could be converted into residence units. So I wouldn't, re- it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's a it lot of idea because lots of empty office space, but those two elements have to be lined up or the CapEx just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I also wonder, I mean, just in general, I think we've all been sort of like waiting and waiting for this moment of inflection with decarbonization. It seems like it's should have happened yesterday, but here we are like 10 years later and and it's still a very big, huge challenge, especially in the prop tech world and in, in the built world. And I'm curious what all of your beliefs are around what is the thing that will cause that inflection point to happen? Like in your case, it seems like, Aaron, the, the belief is that consumers are driving it really because the tenants themselves are the ones that that will make these choices more readily um, versus, you know, versus the portfolio managers who, unless the LPs are putting pressure on them to decarbonize their own portfolio of buildings, they're probably not super focused on it is what it seems like still today. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've got a blend of tenant driven improvements and, and landlord driven improvements and certain types of landlords certainly are, are easier and certain types of tenants are easier. I, I, I'm, familiar with the what Alan was talking about with, with government uh properties. We've we've got a, a, a navy facility that we did and uh we're working on an IRS facility and having, you know, to Rich's point about measurement, you know, putting in sensors and meters in government buildings is, you know, can be a fraught, fraught process. And so people move at different speeds. I wish I knew what was gonna like drive the turning point in decarbonization. I do feel like, you know, we've been saying it was upon us at least since 2008. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to think that it is more, we're in the midst of it now. One of my board members is, is constantly asking why this isn't more like the cell phone revolution. And it's just all of the complexities of the involved systems, involved systems of buildings, but also like the interconnected systems of utilities and politics and humans just makes this a, a slower evolution. I don't think that there's a, a switch that flips. I think we're, we're picking up speed. We're on the curve. And at some point we'll look back and say, oh, we're now on that, you know, very much upward inflection. Um, but it's, it's slow, slowly coming upon us. It is not, it is not going to be a 90 degree turn. I would posit that if you, Using that benchmark to use as 2008 up until, let's say, the last six months, there's been really, and while, while there's been interest and desire, there's been no tremendous need to figure out how to eke every last dollar out to generate enough net operating income to pump up values because cap rates have been falling forever for the last 12 years, 13 yeah. years. And so, yeah, level of money on the table, fine. But if I, if I have the trade off between doing some CapEx 
which is, you know, two or three X, the value I would get by, you know, lowering my utility costs, not going to do it. But in today's world where I'm eking out as much net operating income as I can at, you know, and the trade-off being if someone else can help me figure out the CapEx, great, because I'm not going to get the same price for my building as I got a year ago or 10 years ago. And that's where I think you'll start really starting. That's why you'll see the inflection. Part of the problem is the market just hasn't needed it. And now it needs it because they're seeking out all the ways they can maximize revenue. Yeah, that's I think that's a great point. It's yeah. a really great point. It- I'm excited for the uh, the continuing evolution, again, driven by heat pumps and smart sensors for driving utility-based incentive programs to reach out to the masses. I do believe that inflection point is is coming upon us with with that combination alone in residential structures and in retrofits with multifamily structures. So I think I think we're going to see a significant increase in those installations where they're where they've been a, an incremental part of the market and where they're going to become fundamental as as systems turn over. Yeah, I think Aaron, are you're kind of seeing that with your own business and the way that I think you're planning to expand from here. Yeah, I think electrification is is a huge piece you know, both electrification of mobility, but also electrification of buildings and heating. I think that seems to be coming a little bit faster on the residential side than it is quite as much on the, the commercial side. I think the commercial side always always gets uh, a little bit left behind, particularly the sort of smaller footprint buildings that Alan was alluding to, you know, university systems and Amazon and Google, they get all of the the, the good attention and so they can do a little bit more work. I think there's there's still a, a fight to be fought on sort of the mid-sized commercial building. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about is is getting sort of more institutional buy-in, not just from the people who are receiving that that upgrade, but but from the the provider network. Um well we're coming up on time. Any any final thoughts here? Well thank you, Aaron, and and thank you everybody. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks.